Monica here. Welcome to the Data Podcast for Nerds. This is officially the second episode, first episode with a guest from outside of my family. So, so excited to have on Ian. And yeah, let's kick us off with, um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, What's your origin story? I like to, you know, learn about different origin stories of people and how um, they grew up and where you are today. Sure. Uh, Hello, my name is Ian Fahey. Uh, My origin story begins a long time ago when I could not decide between math and English as majors to pursue. And so uh, I studied both for a very long time and then took the math route into professionalism as an actuary for 12 years. So calculated pensions at a consulting company for all that time. And then eventually, probably a lot along the way, wanted to change and pivoted almost four years ago now into a data career. Started kind of in the BI space, scaled up on Tableau and got a job using that. And then slowly made my way over to analytics engineering, which is what I'm doing now. So, and still trying to weave in a lot of the English side as well. so a lot of, of nerdy things are, are kind of related in my interests, trying to tell stories with data. That's what I think is the most interesting thing about it. So uh, trying to keep those two sides pretty balanced along the way. Very awesome. So what is your formal title today? And what are your main kind of roles and responsibilities with that title? Uh, yeah, so my, my title is analytics engineer. I'm on the DBT Labs internal team. Uh, it's a team of analytics engineers and analysts, a lot of us working embedded. So I'm embedded on the product team. And the design of the role is to facilitate the capture of, of the performance of feature launches or the continued development and adoption of those features. And so as an example, when DBT Labs launched the semantic layer at Coalesce, I helped behind the scenes uh, with adoption metrics for that including metrics on the metrics nodes. So providing the product manager with those adoption and, and performance metrics along the way. So that's those are the main things. Very cool. Very awesome. You mentioned Coalesce. Now that is just a conference in its own, correct? Yes, that's right. Coalesce is DBT Labs conference for the profession of analytics engineering, but also for data roles in general. Uh, finding a way to talk with others in the professional space about what it is that we're doing, how we find meaning in data, different approaches and tools. So that was back in October. This is my first as a DBT Labs team member. So it's pretty exciting. Yes. Now, I actually met Ian at Coalesce in October, and he gave a wonderful presentation about Dungeons and Dragons, how all of the different classes are related to the different data professionals, and also with his skills as a dungeon master, and how it relates and helps him be a data professional as well. Um, One of my favorite uh, presentations from that conference, for sure. Uh, Yeah, so if you're wondering why he is so smooth in his storytelling, that's that's definitely why. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. Yes, it's it's a really big part of my my weekly life outside of work. I went and saw a live D and D podcast last night, 
I'll be spending most of the weekend watching the uh, series Legend of Vox Machina, which is based on a D&D game. So it's it's all in the DNA. Love it. <laughs> awesome. So uh, back to data specifically, how oh. would you define data and how do you use data to solve problems, whether that be at your job or even in your personal life? That's both really good questions. Uh, so I define data as a limited and inherently a imperfect attempt to either quantify or qualify reality in order to agree on it. Um, so I have an example. I, I have a Fitbit. My physical, physical activity is a reality. I, I will go for a walk with my dog later. I sometimes do some lifting. My physical health is a reality. I've got my heart is a certain degree of healthy. My lungs, it's the stress on my body. And the, we have decided that two levels of abstra abstraction sort of help define that. We've decided that steps are a proxy for activity. And then we've done our best to measure steps. So we already know that, that we're sort of a few levels away from, from the reality that we're trying to capture. But we need to agree on it. So we've, we've established that. So I, I like to say data professionals really know those limitations. And our job is sort of to reduce them for stakeholders to the point that everyone can agree so that we can move forward. But uh, I, I've said to stakeholders a lot, I've seen every field be null. I don't have expectations of data because I know that it can be anything. Um, and that might sound pessimistic, but it, it means that you, uh, coming from the actuarial world, we had to establish at the end of our reports, data assumptions, methods, and plan provisions. We had to define those. So we had to say, this is where we stopped. This is how deep we went. Mm -hmm. I too have that same outlook of data where I have no expectations. Everything is dirty. A lot of null values as well. Um, I first did also classify myself as a pessimist, but people don't really dig that too much. So right. I'm, I'm a realist. Right. Yeah. It's, it's better to start from that point so you can kind of decide, you know, how deep you need to go when you're working through a problem and then just sort of set your pitons and say, this is, this is, you know, how far along I went, this is what I based each assumption on. And that's pretty much all you can do because there's only mm -hmm. a finite amount of time. Exactly. Now, just to dig into this a little bit deeper, because I find this interesting. Um, you said that you've seen nulls in, you know, every column mm -hmm. possible. What other really crazy, like dirty data have you seen? Oh, one of my favorite stories was from my old life as an actuary, where we took in census data from a, a company, their employees, they were providing benefits for those employees. And we were running through test lives to make sure that the calculations for the, the pensions were working well. And I spotted Britney Spears in the data. And I saw and I was like, well, that's funny. What a, what a weird coincidence. And then realized that she was just above Tom Cruise. And mm -hmm. I started wikiing their their birthdays and the birthdays were correct. And so I started looking and found, gosh, probably two dozen names like that and found out that the our client had left in dummy data that they were using mm -hmm. uh, in the census file and just sent it to us as though they, like those folks should get pensions too. And so just happened to eyeball that and spot that that was clearly incorrect and found out later that, that, that we were not the only vendors they had sent that to. They had also created actual medical uh, insurance cards for all mm -hmm. of these people. So that was kind of the wildest one I've seen. That's really fun. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I being, uh, I worked with a lot of like HR data. So I saw some really crazy names as well. I think 
some of them might have been real. Um, I saw Treasure Hunt. Wow. Was no treasure chest. Mm -hmm. Treasure hunter, treasure chest, something sure. odd like that, where I was like, is this a for real person? Yeah. Um, also, we saw a couple um, uh, famous people as well in a data set that I was working with. Uh, but we did some further research, of course, to, you know, use an outside source to validate the data that you have and mm -hmm. actually found out that those uh, uh, famous people actually had uh, uh, houses like vacation homes in in Phoenix. Which oh, wow. Kind of cool. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> yeah. I coming from that, that same sort of HR background, I my first few sort of months in my, my new career when I was working more in uh, sort of retail and reverse logistics, I kept referring to lines of data as people because that was mm -hmm. always the world I'd worked in for 12 years. And so every, okay. I'd say this, this guy doesn't quite look right. And my coworkers would be like, what do you mean this guy? Like it's a, it's a box. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, happened a lot. Yes. What's the most creative uh, problem that you had to solve using data? Oh, uh, so I use a lot of spreadsheets at home. I, I sort of define Love very, that. Like, solve, solve uh, answer big questions with spreadsheets. The biggest one, my wife sort of managed to horse whisper me into figuring out how to buy a house during COVID. Uh, we had gotten engaged right before COVID and obviously put that on ice. And I was like, I don't know how I can make a giant life decision during this whole thing. So I don't think I'm going to buy a house. And she started sending me postings and I realized, like, oh, interesting. I'm liking certain things. Let me start gathering the information about what I like. And we eventually had a spreadsheet that scored the various houses based on attributes that were important to us. So like walk score, because we're in DC. So you know, walk score is actually a pretty big factor here. Uh, basic different rooms that were a priority. She likes to bake. So the kitchen was a big priority and kept waiting those until we had a score. And going back to the, the, like, how do you measure up against reality? I actually ended up having to add a, just a feel score because you'd have all that and be a high score and be like, I just don't like that house. So we just had to add a thing right at the end that was just like, a, nope, never mind. <laughs> find all this data. Oh, just like one of those buttons, like, just kidding. Just kidding. Scrap all of the analysis that we just did. It's no longer valid. Turns out you can't quantify me just being like, no, thanks. <laughs> That's awesome. I too have tons of lists and spreadsheets for all of my decisions, big or small, mm -hmm. in my personal life as well. Um, very helpful. Uh, I don't think that I've ever gotten into that much of a detail of the assigning different weights and, and scores and all of that, but really, really good, good skill to have. Yeah. <laughs> it, it can it can be a bit of a rabbit hole. I, I made a, a spreadsheet to pick for my fantasy Great British Bake Show League. And uh, that also became a little bit of a crutch as I, and eventually have, have gone back to, I'm just going to pick what feels right based on watching this television show and enjoying it. But I did eventually learn that, you know, they seem to wait the technical less than the signature, which is weighted less than, I, I just sort of figured these things out because I compare mm -hmm. it to the reality of who won that week. And okay. so just kind of configured it. So yeah, I know how to have fun. Yeah. I, I have a good time. Did you have that in a spreadsheet as well, or was that mm -hmm. just a mental thing? Okay, a spreadsheet roll, rolling <laughs> uh, rolling averages and and me scoring sort of how each assessment went, and yeah, it was again. I, I really know how to watch and enjoy TV. In oh a, a gosh, very normal way. <laughs> I love that so much. We didn't have a spreadsheet, but we were watching Lego Masters, mm. and we had caught on that when people 
uh, present their builds, uh, the ones that they would animate were oh. the ones that would be in the top. <laughs> it wouldn't really signify who would win because there was always at least two of them that they would animate. But once yeah. that get, got lower and lower, like the population of the contestants, it was like, oh, they're definitely in the running. It's animated. Yep. Yeah, it's interesting. You start <laughs> clocking those things about like production almost because of that. Yes. Yeah. We always had, we're curious too about like they do that like illustration before the bakes and like it's it, someone would then not finish like oh man they must have like conceptualized what it would have looked like if it were done right because <laughs> it didn't turn out that way at all. Absolutely, and they do really good at um, like cutting and editing their their film because it'll be like one minute left, and you see these builds or the cakes or whatnot. It's like yep. they're not even a you know close to being done, and then all of a sudden it's like. Oh, it's done and it's, it's done. beautiful. It's like decorated. Um... Yeah. <laughs> I did a lot in that last minute. <laughs> exactly. Awesome. Well, talking about scoring things, yeah. on to our fun segments, which I like to call fun bits mm -hmm. um, until I find a better name. Actually, fun bits is kind of growing on me now. Hey, that's what happens. So much. Yeah. Um, so we might just continue calling it fun bits. But because um, Ian likes to play Dungeons and Dragons, I asked him if he would be interested in doing a fun game and kind of scoring different data tools that data professionals use on the alignment chart. And so I will share my screen first off with the a. Um, a, a, an image that I found online, and I can uh, drop a link in the show notes to show everyone this, but it's basically showing a silly representation of the alignment chart with bread. And um, first off, Ian, if you can, at a high level, tell sure. the guest what is an alignment chart and what are the different categories? Sure. Uh, so alignment is a has been a part of Dungeons and Dragons through several editions, and it's a way to think about the way that your character or perhaps monsters, if you're the DM, interact with the world around them. So it's on two different axes, which are all here. The sort of good to evil axis has a lot to do with how you react to other people in the world. So if you're good, you're considerate of what other people need. You go out of your way, perhaps, to help them. And if you're evil, you're more concerned with your own needs. You, you prioritize those, sometimes even to the detriment of others. And then there's a neutral in between, which is sort of you do what feels right in the moment. You don't really think about it in terms of morality. So that right here is represented from top to bottom. And then there's also this axis of lawful to chaotic. So that is how much you care about overall systems in the world, society, laws, those sorts of things. So you can be lawful in the sense that you do all of the morality, any morality that you have is within the framework of society. And so if you're good, you're good in the context of laws and things that people have required of you. Chaotic is more, you make those decisions for yourself. You uh, go ahead and do whatever it strikes you while keeping your own morality. So chaotic good would be, I, you know, sort of a, a roguish, like I'm just going to go and do what feels right to me with a mind towards helping others, but I'm not going to care how anyone else decides that, that that's done. So those are the main axes. Um, and yeah, I can see that it's been applied pretty well to this, this bread scenario here. Yeah. I find this, uh, 
especially hilarious with the lawful good. Um, that's an extreme where you're using a bread box. That's like what you should do. Yep. And everybody loves you for doing it all the way down to chaotic evil, where people just leave the bag open mm -hmm. and risk for the bread to just go stale. Yep. <laughs> so. Yeah. You're only thinking about the sandwich that you just made. You're not thinking about any other sandwich in the future. It's just, you're, that is not your concern in chaotic evil world. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> All right. So with our uh, application, we wanted to use the most um, known and used data tools that data professionals use. Um, ones that I am most familiar with are the Excel, SQL, Python, R, and Tableau. And Ian has brought his expertise as well, including YAML, Salesforce, Jinja, and Looker. So here we have a little bit of a difference um, uh, on the categories, if we can yes. describe what these categories mean in relation to the data tools. Yes. Yeah, so we, we definitely wanted to talk about this uh, at the top because uh, as someone who works at DBT and, and has a partnerships team that would hate if I defined any members of the modern data ecosystem as evil, uh, <laughs> I wanted to make sure that we had a, a sense of this. We're still going to use the term because that's how alignment charts work. People make them for anything from uh, Star Wars characters through pretty much any anything. It's, it's almost like Myers-Briggs. People just love to throw people into these grids. And so uh, we still wanted to keep evil as the reference point, but the way we've defined it here is we have to use it. It is something that is regularly a part of work and that, that need to use it is sort of more than how much we enjoy using it. Uh, it can sometimes be a little bit tricky or finicky to work with, but it is just a regular part of our day. Mm -hmm. um, and then to balance that, what we thought was good is it makes your job easier. There's higher comprehension, uh, sort of a sense of flow in, in what it can unlock and enable you to do. So that's the, how we did the good and evil side of the axis. Um, and then for lawful to chaotic, this was more of a how, what is it capable of doing? So lawful is about being able to do specific things really well. So it's, it's kind of created with one intention in mind and therefore that's kind of all it can do. And then sort of good and evil is, def is defining whether or not it, it does that well, but it has a specific goal. And then the more chaotic ones are highly configurable, almost an embarrassment of options and ways you could apply it. And uh, so, yeah, that's that's sort of what we're thinking in terms of the chaotic side of things. All right. So good, evil. We'll put a little asterisk there yep. on the evil, <laughs> not evil, you know. Yeah, and I love then... all my modern data ecosystem friends. <laughs> exactly. And then lawful to chaotic. Yeah. Perfect. All right. So what tool did you want to start with? Let's see. Uh, let's start with Lawful Good, I think. Okay. So uh, one that is near and dear to my heart that I work with every single day uh, that is not DBT, although, you know, it very much is in some senses, would be SQL. I think that SQL, it's a querying language. It's literally a structured querying language. Uh, and so Lawful, I think, seems to fit, but I don't know what I would do without it. I think that the the way of thinking about the data that I want just comes naturally with a SQL command. Um, I know if I want to sum something, I put in sum, I put a parenthesis. So I find it very much in flow. I guess that'd be another caveat for this too, is this is very much, you know, my career, my experience is what was in flow for me. I've kind of pursued that through my career. Tableau felt in flow and then DBT felt in flow. And so that's what I've followed. So your mileage may vary. Good, good yeah. thing to note. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
Um, and I agree. I mean, SQL, when, you know, data professionals ask, you know, what is, what do you use and what's a good skill to have? I'm like, I use, in, in my experience as well, I use SQL on a daily basis. Yeah. I think that makes, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think if I want to just popcorn around or sort of go down an axis. Uh, I think, I think maybe go down the lawful axis. So I'm moving right. from from lawful good to lawful neutral, I think I'm trying to say, okay, the, the structures are still there. Sometimes it's really in flow. Sometimes it's kind of not. For me, that tool is Looker. Um, I find Looker to be, it's another thing I use most days uh, and, and at a lot of my recent companies. And I think it has a lot of, of structure. It, it works in, it has a specific way. It wants you to connect your data sets and then define them so that can, you can use dimensions and measures. Um, but there are times when you run into limitations or, you know, if you want to capture and version control your entire dashboard, it comes out in this big sort of un unreadable in some ways, uh, string of LookML. So I, th I think that it's, a, it's as deep as you want to get into it and there, but it's mainly structured and so therefore I, I put it at lawful. Very cool. Yeah. Um, and then next down, let's do our first evil one. Uh, these I, actually, I imagine that some folks will probably take issue with these being referred to as data tools, some of these, but uh, I think that they've become that often, uh, in, in no small part due to DBT. So here I'm going to put YAML. YAML is a big part of DBT. It's, it's used for a lot of the, the documentation of models and a lot of configuration. I think every person who loves DBT and all of us on the DBT team would say, we have all had a moment where we've just been fighting with YAML because it need, it hates something that we did and it won't tell us what it is. Um, it's just like, and it turns out you just needed to indent something. So if indenting is that important, I think that becomes lawful evil for me. Oh goodness. Okay. Okay. I know, yeah. I, I know other programming languages that do that as well. <laughs> yeah. It, it, and if it doesn't, I mean, I think I saw a meme recently that was a, some Lord of the Rings uh, meme that was, you know, even, even other tools will give you a, an error that doesn't tell you enough to solve it. But uh, this is one that even earlier today, I was, I was sort of being like, why won't you work? I just, it's such a, <laughs> yeah, if I got five lines of code here, there's only so many places I could have slipped up. And the answer was like quotes. So as it often yeah. is. Um, All right. Yeah. So, uh, do you are you interested in in putting one in place, and then we can talk about it? Um. Or do you yeah, want to sure. Yeah. Let's. Yeah. Um. The most I think the base level of where analytics and uh, data professionals start out at is Excel. Um. Even though you know, there's a lot of like, no, I just want to you know start off strong with Python or, mm -hmm. or something. It's like. Well, you know, it's not it's not going anywhere. You know, it's it's pretty it's pretty much going to be around for for a while. And mm -hmm. so we put that there. Um, neutral good. You know, it, it makes your lives easier. Spreadsheets, Spreadsheets. It uses it on a daily basis. <laughs> Absolutely, <at home. laughs> and it's, it's kind of undefeated. It's you, you can't come at the king. Uh, there are definitely use cases where, obviously, you know, when you there's there's jokes about you you join a company and you find out they're doing everything in Excel. There are places that it shouldn't be used, like shouldn't be used for databasing. But there is something about the uh, sort of input nature of it is a reason that finances team use it so much accounting teams any sort of projections because you want to have a place where you toggle inputs and it just flows through and excel is still very easy to do that is a good way to store data and create data in one place 
So uh, yeah, I, th I think it, it's still pretty flow state. It, it's going to take a long time before we sort of completely unseat Excel <laughs> as, a, as a modern data stack. Absolutely. Um, and then yeah, continuing, I think around the top there, chaotic good for me feels like Python. I think Python is something that uh, I just actually uh, learned a little bit of recently. I can speak to that in a, in a little bit, but uh, it is definitely something that seems highly configurable. It's a way that a lot, of, it becomes a toolbox uh, tool for people that they think of, it's like, oh, I can use Python to do that. Um, I worked with people before I, I really learned Python at all, who like, that was the lens through which they saw the problem. Uh, and so I think that's part of the chaotic is it's highly configurable. And I think pretty much a, a good, I think people have a high opinion of it. It was one of the reasons it was asked, you know, you see the two languages you can write DBT models in here at the top, because it was what people were trying to do to solve problems at their, at their desk. So uh, I find that to be a general good, keeps people in flow. Very, yep, I would agree with that. Yeah. Um, moving down a little bit, chaotic neutral. I would say this is where R feels very similar, very configurable, uh, very much a lot, a lot of different things you can do with it. I don't actually have a huge value judgment between Python and, and R and sort of good or neutral. Uh, I think they're just, Python does seem to be a thing that people approach to, to solve a lot of problems. And R seems to have been more of a standard for solving some specific problems. So I think that's kind of where that, that shakes out. But that's, that's one where I can imagine people's different careers would probably flip-flop those. I don't know, what do, you, do you think that's probably the case? I would agree. Um, a lot of things that I also heard between these two are that R is more of a statistical math related. So yeah. that's why it's geared more towards the data professionals, whereas Python, although there are the data centric libraries that you can use, you can do so much more with Python. And that's why a lot of like software engineers and software developers use that as well to actually build things. Um, and it's so, so it is that base like programming language. That's really interesting. I'm starting to see this framework from, from good to evil where it's, where it feels like, you know, neutral along that line is it's the right tool for the job. Good mm -hmm. is it's the right tool for a lot of jobs. And then it seems like we're getting to evil where it's like, it's kind of the only tool for the job. <laughs> yeah. um, there's no real value judgment of it. It's just what you can, what you have to use. Um, Absolutely. So, so to that end, uh, once again, putting some, some points on the, the evil board, uh, another, another internal DBT language, Jinja, I think fits in here. Again, not, not necessarily just a, a data language, but another one that is highly configurable. It's, it's a big part of our macros and things that you can use to advance and scale up your uh, DBT usage. And so, the, but the evil part of it is once again, it, it becomes a little bit more fluid. You have to really learn to understand it. And I can understand why sometimes people bump up against like, oh, do, you know, do I need, to... it stops looking as much like SQL does as the exact question you're answering, even though it's incredibly empowering. And so I think that that's a, a place where it, it gets a little harder. Again, it, you know, evil, not so much, but it's, it's something where you have to sort of go and find a template and figure out how you want to use that template. And it has a lot of use cases, but all of them seem to be something that you have to kind of go and grab and figure out how to use. So uh, I'm still growing in my macro knowledge of DBT. Perhaps this will change over time. <laughs> Hopefully it does. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and uh, yeah, let's let's put one final evil on the board, as it were. Um, must be used even if we don't want to. Yeah, I think you you you've already spotted it. It is in fact Salesforce. Um, 
I, you know, it's important delineation between our last two there. I think that my experience with the people who use Salesforce day to day, they're very uh, knowledgeable about it. They're very, I've been working a lot with our accounting team and all the different things that reports that they pull out of Salesforce, but I've heard my fair share of people say that it's just, it's the game in town for CRM and it's kind of the one that you end up using. And so there, uh, I think there's a concept of elastic and inelastic products, which are, you know, whether or not it, it really can be replaced. And I think Salesforce is here to stay. And so a lot of its functionality is, is how it's going to be, even if you might want it to be different. So that's my only uh, way to define Salesforce as evil there. I'm not getting into any other definition. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've never used it myself, but um, just reading different job postings and having interviews and whatnot, it does seem like the tool that a lot of people are using. And I've seen mm -hmm. it for many years now. So it seems like it's here to stay as well. I think so. I think yeah. so. Um, and then finally, carving out a little piece of that sort of uh, <laughs> of Salesforce is uh, Tableau. So I think Tableau sort of putting in this true neutral territory, this is a lot about sort of comparing it to the whole field now. So Tableau similarly, highly configurable in some sense, you have your calculated fields, you have a lot that you can do with it. I think that when people move between Tableau and Looker, sometimes that moving at the speed of thought is what people like about Tableau. Um, and so that to me kind of puts it a little bit towards the chaotic, but not all the way there. And then in terms of good and evil, I think you know, it's, it's a very good tool for the job. I think that, uh, you know, there's a visualization component to all three of these in the middle, uh, on, the, on the middle row are being something you can also plot on. And I think part of that is just visualization is an inherently uh, risky thing to do. You start defining, you know, there, there's a reason that graph crimes exist. There's a, so this doesn't necessarily have a moral thing. It's kind of how you use it. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's a, a fitting place for BI tools in general. Yep. And, and to me, it's kind of like a household name. Whenever anybody mm -hmm. talks about data viz, it's like, oh, Tableau. Right. I mean, there's many other tools out there, but that's just the one that comes to mind. It's like Kleenex. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Nobody calls them tissues. It's Kleenex. Yeah. <laughs> like, can you pull this into Tableau? It's like, oh, we, we actually use a different BI tool in Tableau. Yeah. <laughs> so you I know what know. I mean. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. Awesome. Well, that was... That was really fun. Thank you so much for yeah, playing that with me absolutely. and letting me be the nerd that I am with that and you helping me be a nerd as well. <laughs> absolutely. I, I look forward to this uh, being presented to me by, again, our partnerships team. Uh, but no, I, well, I think it was it was a, a nice way for us. I, I made sure to balance that uh, what we consider to be evil are actually come some of our internal DBT tools. Um, and I also made sure not to put us on there because mm. that would be a little self-serving. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> or self-defeating. It depends on where I put it, I guess. That is true. That is true. Yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, because I love to talk about learning and how to learn, I wanted to ask you, especially when you were talking about YAML and, you know, reading the error codes and, you know, not understanding exactly sometimes how to fix mm -hmm. and, and all of that. Like, how, how do you learn new things or how do you go about with those kind of mystery error codes to figure out what's really going on? It's a, it's a good question. I find that I learn the best when I know exactly the problem I'm trying to solve. So it's, it's almost that, that reality thing again, where I know what I'm looking for. I know the outcome I want. And so as an example, when DBT 
launched Python models, I actually thought, oh, man, I'm going to have to learn Python. I don't know a lot of Python. I was asking a lot of questions internally. When do you look to reach the Python? I got the answer we were talking about, which is like, you can use it to solve a lot of problems. And so I said, okay, great. I'm going to sign into like data camp and take some Python courses. And as soon as I signed in, I found that I had completed intermediate Python training. I'd already learned it. But oh, wow. because I, this was back when I was trying to make my transition from an actuary to a data professional. And I learned it for that and then didn't use it again. And so it kind of fell out of my head. But then when I got to DBT, I actually needed to solve a problem to use that I needed Python for. I was supposed to be sorting the DBT versions. So like major, minor patch, uh, 1.3.0 or something like that. I needed to sort them so that we knew what the most recent one that a given account might be using. And very obvious, like the string sorting on that doesn't work. 0.2 gets two 0.20 gets sorted above 0.7, even though it should be after it because it's trying to string sort it. So I need to pull it apart and compare all the numericals and put it back together and rank them. And I knew that that's what I wanted to do. I knew what it should look like at the end. I knew what was right. And I could constantly validate that it was doing what I wanted it to do. And so got to learn how to ask Python to do that. And regex. Uh, I had to learn some regex uh, for that. Yes. <laughs> I'm a fan of regex. A I lot of people too. hate it, but I'm like, I for some reason, that's the way that my mind works. And I'm mm -hmm. just like, yes, this, of course, I still do have to Google everything to figure oh, yeah. it out because I can't remember anything. However, that is just, it really resonates with the way that I think. Yeah. Shout out. I think it's uh, regex 101. Is that the website that's really, really good? It yes. helps you parse, parse through it. Uh, yeah, shout out to Elise Papineau on the data team with me. She was the one who sort of walked me through learning both of those things because I knew, like I said, I knew what I wanted to do and she was able to talk me through it. And now I feel I, I pushed my first Python model into our internal project. So that's kind of the way I find that I need to do it. Similarly with Tableau, I, once again, with D&D, I made a big, my first dashboard after I took a Ryan Sleeper course was on the uh, various defenses of a given monster and whether or not all of my, my parties attacks could hit it and i just would could put in a bunch of inputs and then had a visualization of like a guy in armor and it would show different red or green areas and i just i was curious about that i knew the data really well and it was a nice way to get to learn the tools so i think an application is pretty critical for me to learn something as opposed to just kind of taking courses mm -hmm. that that makes a lot of sense um and that's another helpful way to learn after if you do take a course, you apply it to a different problem and use those skills that you just learned. Absolutely. Um, and then it just, you know, helps you along the process for sure. Yeah. I, th I think courses are a good way because you're not going to be able to find a bunch of different problems that you're trying to solve. But like, mm -hmm. it, I think it's really important. I took that Ryan Sleeper class. I went through all of the different ways to use Tableau. And then I immediately said, how could I try to get all of those involved in something that I want to solve? And so if I had done something similar with the Python course shortly after it, probably would have been able to have that stick a little bit more and remember that I'd taken it. True. Yeah. And that is a plug for continuous learning in mm -hmm. that, you know, once you learn something, it's not going to stay in your head forever. You need to continuously revisit those fundamentals in order for it to stick and for your, yes. you know, fundamentals to stay strong. Definitely. Awesome. Well, it has been a pleasure to talk Likewise. with you, Ian. Do you have any last words, recommendations, encouragements? Yes, I have one that I, I don't know if this is because I got to a data career after being in a general workforce so long. And so I came in, I'll go ahead and say it, I came in at, I guess it would have been like 35 and did was a brand new data 
employee and was joining with people who were right out of college. And so uh, I would say my, my advice is, is always to be honest, but not self-deprecating about your experience on any particular task. Um, my description of how much Python training that I had previously had was about as much as a lot of people have when they put Python on like their resume. And I don't consider that to be a lie because my experience once I got to DBT was, oh, I actually can get back up to speed on it because these things are now resonant and familiar again. But when it comes to being in seat, whenever I get a task assigned to me, I immediately tell my boss, my project team members, what my experience and comfort level is with what we're doing. Um, for example, at DBT, I said, hey, we actually had a dedicated data engineering function at my last company. We had team members who did that. So I need a how-to on how to set, it, set up data ingests. Core AE skill, honestly. Analytics engineering involves ingest, involves sourcing. Totally agree with that. We just had people doing that. And so I didn't get the reps. And so I was easy enough to just come in and say, hey, that's not something I know. So would love to get some immediate early reps doing it before I get to and flow and start sort of my, the wheel starts finding the rut of all the things I know. I just need to learn it. And I found that managers are actually really receptive to that once you're in seat because they know that they never have to worry about you spinning your wheels on something. They know that you're going to let them know if there's an actual problem and they know how to staff. Sometimes you need the person who can get it done quickly. It's not a learning moment and that's okay. But you know, everyone benefits from more information, but, and then the self-deprecating part is important because it, it can be a way for people to try to get ahead of criticism. They might be worried that other people have for them is to say like, oh yeah, I am so bad at Python. Like, I don't even know what I'm doing. I'm just an idiot when it comes to Python. And it, it's, it, it's a very like reliable way to try to protect yourself from anyone else being like, oh my gosh, you don't know Python, but no one's really ever thinking that. And instead you've put that narrative into the world. Mm -hmm. a big believer that narratives are incredibly powerful and stories are really powerful and you just got, you have to tell good ones. Um, and that's, so that, that, that's really mine is to be, to be humble without sort of dragging yourself down mm -hmm. is a good way forward. So I think people literally learn to trust you from there too. Agree. Those awesome, awesome last words. <laughs> Thank you for that advice. If sure. other people have questions for you, where can they find you or follow you? Yeah, uh, I have... As some might have noticed, I've tried to dial way, way back after Coalesce and things last year and also various Twitter things and just new year, new me kind of stuff. So uh, uh, the spice is kind of flowing less now in terms of my my social media presence. But uh, I do want people to reach out if they're interested in conversations. So you can find me uh, at Cabarax on Twitter. That's C-A-V-O-R-A-X. It's a D&D character of mine. I'm also on Mastodon, Ian Fahey at data-folks.masto.host and Ian M. Fahey on LinkedIn. And my name is spelled I-A-N-F-A-H-E-Y. So, and fun, come find me on DBT Community Slack. I started there at my last company. I loved it. The environment was perfect and I had to go join the club. So that's why I'm at DBT now. Amazing. Well, again, thank you so much for being on the data podcast for nerds. Um, so excited to see more from you getting back in the game and learning all about the new D&D stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, I should probably just start commenting more on that. <laughs> yes, I agree. <laughs> yeah, perfect. So, but thank you very much. This was really fun. Um, obviously, I love playing in the space and finding those connections. So I appreciate the opportunity to do so again. Absolutely. All right. And folks out there, as always, happy learning.